Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. وعلى آله الأسكياء وأصحابه الأتقياء أما بعد We are studying the book of Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda رحمه الله تعالى الرسول المعلم And he is discussing how education teaching specifically was such an important and central part of the life of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم The chapter we left off in the middle of in our last session the sunnah establishes and proves that Rasulullah was a guide a teacher with great uh, um, wisdom so we covered two narrations today inshallah we'll start with the third narration bismillah a pastor in the congregation speed. So I made the following supplication for him. May Allah Ta'ala have mercy on me. When I said this, all the people began staring at me. So I said, How great is the affliction of my mother, for she is bereft of me. What is wrong with you people? Why are you staring at me in this manner? They began striking their thighs with their hands. When I saw them motioning, motioning, motioning me to remain silent, I remained silent. But Rasulullah completed the salah, he called me. May my, father, may my father and mother be sacrificed for him as well. I have never come across a better teacher than him, both before and after him. I take an oath by Allah that he neither reproached me, struck me, nor was he abusive to me in any way. All that he said to me was this, in this salah there should be no speech of man. All that, all that it should have is the glorification of Allah Ta'ala, mentioning the greatness of Allah Ta'ala and the citation of the Qur'an. So in this hadith, Muawiyah bin Hakam as-Sulami radiallahu an recalls an incident. He says, I was praying salah with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bayna ana usalli ma'a Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam idh atasa rajulun min al-qawm While they were praying, a person sneezed. In the earlier days of Islam, Small talk was permitted in prayer. So if someone said salam to you, it was permitted to respond back to that person salam. Similarly, if a person sneezed, it was permissible to say, Yarhamukallah. These are small things that were allowed. The Sahaba actually say that before we went to Habasha, we would greet Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he would respond, possibly through a gesture. But when we came back from Habasha, we said salam to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he didn't respond back to us at all. We were worried maybe something happened, maybe we did something wrong. Later on Rasulullah informed us that this was no longer permissible. So the Sahabi was praying with Rasulullah and someone sneezed and he said, Yarhamukallah. Everyone started staring him down. Like they were all looking at him like, what are you doing? This is the middle of salah, why are you talking? May your mothers lose you. Why are you guys all staring at me like this? He's talking, by the way, in Salah. He's saying this part in Salah too. Ma sha'nukum tanzuruna ilayya. Still in Salah. Why are you all staring at me? I find this hilarious because I can imagine this happening in our masjid and everyone flipping out. 
What's wrong with this guy? He says everyone started taking their hands and striking their thighs to make a sound as if they were telling him to hush it. When I saw they were trying to hush me up, I went quiet. Now in his heart you can imagine how frustrated he is. Finishes off the prayer. After prayer was over, Nabi called me. May my mother and father both be sacrificed for him. I never saw a teacher before him or after him who was as kind when teaching than Rasulullah. فَوَاللَّهِ مَا قَهَرَنِي وَلَا ضَرَبَنِي وَلَا شَتَمَنِي Nabi wasallam did not reproach me, he did not strike me, he did not say something foul to me. وقال, however, Nabi wasallam said, إِنَّ هَذِهِ الصَّلَاةَ لَا يَصْلَحُ فِيهَا شَيْءٌ مِنْ كَلَامِ النَّاسِ That while you're in prayer, we don't engage in general conversation. إِنَّمَا هُوَ التَّسْبِيحُ وَالتَّكْبِيرُ وَقِرَاءَةُ الْقُرْآنِ it is tasbih, takbir, subhan rabbil a'la, subhan rabbil azim. It is Allahu Akbar. It is reading and recitation of the Qur'an. So in this narration, when we look at it, we see that the Prophet ﷺ deals with this individual with great kindness. He's very gentle with this human being. Because the Prophet ﷺ understands that this person did not do what he did out of arrogance or out of disobedience, it was a simple matter of ignorance. He just didn't know. And there is absolutely no point or neither does it serve right that a person reprimands someone with harshness simply because of their jahala, because they were ignorant of a matter. Rather, show them gentleness, show them kindness. Nabi wasallam, he had such an impact on him that he says that I never met anyone who was as kind and loving as Rasulullah Because there was a clear contrast here. On one side, there were educators. These were these other individuals that were in the congregation who used an approach which again is suitable and appropriate, but it had firmness in it. They were frustrated and almost annoyed. What are you doing? People like us. Nabi wasallam had empathy for the student. He understood that this person just doesn't know. So being frustrated with him, publicly calling them out, out loud saying something, is only going to belittle them. So Rasulullah calls him. And then note here, Nabi again doesn't tell him what you did was haram and that caused your salah to break, so go repeat it again. And while you're there, just do your wudu again so you're spiritually clean. That's what we would have done. When someone does something wrong, we are quick to pass fatwa, legal rulings. Rasulullah doesn't do that here. He does point out the, 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 the general mas'ala, which is that in salah we're not supposed to do these things. But he doesn't pass the verdict on your salah is invalid, so go do it again. Or Nabi wasallam doesn't tell him what you were doing was haram. What I've noticed is people generally don't do haram acknowledging and knowing that it's haram. And if they are doing something that is well known to be haram, telling them it's haram doesn't really make a difference because they already know it. It's like a person who has... Um, um, complications with uh, being attracted to people from the same gender or something of that nature, something that's complicated with their gender issues or sexuality issues, the first thing parents or family members will say is, Sheikh, can you go tell them it's haram? And every time I almost say the same thing, that they already know it's haram. I'd be surprised if this person didn't know it's haram. I'm sure every time they search this issue on the internet, the first 50 results said, haram, 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 haram. Their friends by now have told them it's haram. But we have to look for a different approach. We have to find a different way to communicate with them and talk to them about this issue. Rasulullah the Sahabi said, Bi Abi Anta wa Ummi. And we say the same thing regarding the teaching of Rasulullah that Fidaka Abi wa Ummi. May our mothers and fathers be sacrificed for the gentleness and the kindness of Rasulullah. Yes, continue. 
all forms of speech, apart from praises of Allah Ta'ala and his glorification, recitation of the Quran, dua, etc., are prohibited in salah. Therefore, replying to a person who sneezes, greets you, asks a question, etc., during salah, will nullify the salah. Imam Nawawi has written in his commentary of the above hadith, this hadith displays the grand character of Rasulullah which is testified to by Allah Ta'ala himself. It also shows his kindness to an ignorant person and his compassion and beneficence to his followers. The hadith not only teaches us to be kind to an ignorant person, but also to correct him in a cordial and compassionate manner. Yes. He says here, Imam Nawawi, مِنْ عَظِيمِ الْخُلُقِ الَّذِي شَهِدَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بِهِ That from this narration, we see the real character of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The character that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala Himself attests to when He says, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ And it's something that's so well established and accepted, Musallam, that you can have a great teacher who is condescending, or you can have a teacher who is humble and loving with good character. And it's a second one that will not only teach you the subject, but will also touch your heart. They will motivate you, encourage you to be a better version of yourself. As for the teacher that's belittling, harsh and rough, it's very possible you may learn the subject from them, but you will be hurt along the way. You will be scarred. And they may actually crush you and break you in the process, making you lose confidence in yourself, that you don't have trust in yourself. I see this as, unfortunately, the model of education that's used in a lot of our uh, hip schools. That when children are going to memorize the Qur'an, the language that's used towards these kids isn't motivating, unfortunately. It's not encouraging, it's not uplifting. It's, you bewkuf, gadeki walad, you son of a donkey, right? And then they'll, they'll all sorts of other um, very fruitful languages, words are used to refer to these young children who have decided to dedicate their, their day to uh, reading the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't lift people like this. And if we step away from that environment, even in our homes, parents saying, right? They're using foul language and saying foul things to their own children. What kind of mother or father should do, does that? Unfortunately, what I've seen is many young people in our community that lack drive and confidence to do things isn't because they lack in innate skills, it's because their mentors and or parents are the ones that have actually broken them down and stole them of all confidence. They've robbed them of all their confidence. Because they were constantly compared against someone else. They were constantly told someone else was better. They were constantly told they didn't do good enough. There are different words, there are different expressions that a person can use when encouraging someone to do better. Right? You can appreciate what was done, yet highlight either then or at a later point, again you have to see what's going on, whether there is room and space for growth. You shouldn't coddle someone and hide them from reality where everyone gets a trophy for participation. There should be real conversations that there is, there is room for growth here. This wasn't done properly, but it shouldn't come at the cost of killing someone's confidence. Rasulullah gave everyone their due love. He lifted them, respected them. And that's why it's very difficult for many of us who are raising children to do it in the world that we live in because sometimes those very same children now when they interact with maybe uncles, aunts, grandparents, or just other family members, the way they speak to the children is so condescending that as a parent you have to step in and say to those parents or those individuals who choose to be a part of your child's life, time out. We don't talk like that to kids in our house. We don't do this. We don't belittle people. We give them confidence. We treat them in a prophetic manner. How Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he lifted people up. And he says, Bi Abi huwa wa ummi, may my mother and father be sacrificed for Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay, so he says, uh, Imam Nawi Rahmatullahi says, here we see the character of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam being displayed here. Yes, so then he says, فَأَيُّ مُعَلِّمٍ Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghuda. فَأَيُّ مُعَلِّمٍ مِنَ الْمُرَبِّينَ تَخَرَّجَ عَلَى يَدَيْهِ عَدَدٌ أَوْفَرْ وَأَهْدَى مِنْ هَذَا الرَّسُولِ الْكَرِيمِ So now show me a teacher 
Show me an educator who had such a large number of people who graduated from under him, who entered into the world after being mentored by him, who are as complete and as guided and as, you know, just perfect as those who came from under Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. الَّذِي تَخَرَّجَ بِهِ هَوْلَا لَصْحَابُ الْأَطْبَعَ فَكَيْفَ كَانُوا قَبْلَهُ وَكَيْفَ صَارُوا بَعْدَهُ How were they before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam entered their life? And then look at how they were after Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam touched their hearts and played a part in their, in their life. You ever see those detergent commercials? Where there's some crazy accident that happens and it's a big hot mess and you're kind of wondering in that moment, oh my God, how are they going to clean it? And then they open up the cabinet and there is this beautiful orange container that has the right detergent and it cleans everything. And then when you look at it, you think to yourself, wow, was that cloth even ever dirty? You know that whole experience that I'm speaking of? Imagine that but with arwah. And revelation being the detergent that was cleaning their heart and the one that was mixing it all and doing the cleaning was Rasulullah وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ he was the one that was removing the stains from their hearts and teaching them. فَكَيْفَ كَانُوا قَبْلَهُ وَكَيْفَ صَارُوا بَعْدَهُ What were they before him? And what did they become after him? إِنَّ كُلَّ وَاحِدٍ مِّنْ هَؤُلَاءِ الْأَصْحَابِ دَلِيلٌ نَاتِقٌ عَلَىٰ عِظَمِ هَذَا الْمُعَلِّمِ Each and every one of the companions are a speaking proof of the greatness of this teacher. الْمُرَبِّيَ الْفَرِيدَ الْأَوْحَدِ This unique teacher each and every one of them are proofs of it. وَهَذَا يُذَكِّرُنَا بِكَلِمَةٌ طَيِّبَةٍ جِدًّا لِبَعْضِ الْجَهَابِذَةِ الْأُصُلِيِّينَ And he says, this reminds us of a statement that some of the great scholars of the past said, لَوْ لَمْ يَكُنْ لِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ مُعْجِزَةٌ إِلَّا أَصْحَابَهُ لَكَفَوْهُ لِإِثْبَاتِ نُبُوَتِهِ other than the students of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, Talha, Zubair, Sa'ad, Sa'id, Abdurrahman, Abu Ubaidah, Ridwanullahi alayhim ajma'een. If they were the only ones, if that was it, there was no other miracle. لَكَفَوْهُ لِإِثْبَاتِ نُبُوَتِي They would suffice him to establish his prophethood. Because each, of, each one of them was so perfect. Each one of them became so unique. They had such amazing character, they were such amazing human beings, each of them inspired a nation. Each of them inspired a nation. So if this is the situation, as I shared with you guys a few weeks ago, If this is a state of the slaves and servants of Nabi wasallam, the students of Nabi wasallam, where does a person even begin to imagine the true rank of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Where do we even start that? Okay, yes, continue. History testifies to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's perfect personality as a teacher. <clears throat> History also bears testimony to the fact that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was a teacher par excellence. A cursory glance at the state of humanity before his prophethood and the transformation he produced gives us the clearest testimony and proof of this. Examples of teachers and guides from the human race which mankind witnessed after the messenger and teacher conclusively prove the eminence of this great teacher and instructor. All other great personalities in the world of teaching and tutoring became insignificant when compared to himself. Is there any teacher besides the noble messenger who produced students in greater numbers and who were more rightly guided than the Sahaba and his followers? What was the condition of these Sahaba before the, his advent, and how were they, and how were, and how were they transformed after his advent? After every single one of these Sahaba is a clear proof of the greatness of this unique and matchless teacher and instructor. This reminds us of a statement made by a brilliant jurist. He says, "If Rasulullah had no miracle, but the Sahaba alone, they would have been sufficient to prove his prophethood." Mm. This next chapter he has, حَظُّهُ عَلَىٰ مَحْوِ الْعَامِيَةِ How Nabi encouraged the erasing, the removal of illiteracy from society. حَظُّهُ عَلَىٰ مَحْوِ الْعَامِيَةِ How will we get rid of illiteracy from society? وَتَحْذُرُهُ مِنَ الْفُتُورِ فِي التَّعْلِيمِ وَالتَّعَلُّمِ 
and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam warning people of becoming lazy when it comes to education and, and, and teaching. Anything, studying or teaching, when you become lazy, we covered this word futura today earlier in class, when you become sluggish and lazy, when you step back and you're not bringing your A-game, you have to be very focused. You have to make this your goal, like really take it seriously. When society lays off and people become lazy when it comes to their education, things fall apart, right? What happens when people are struggling financially? They send their kids off to work. Those kids end up missing out on their education. Now, I know that this is a, uh, I'm speaking from a place of, you know, um, entitlement, someone may argue, that you, are, you have the opportunity to go and seek um, education. In some families, they don't have that freedom. And I agree, I accept that. For that, we're thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it doesn't take away from the fact that we need to ensure that our children receive a healthy education where they're well-rounded and they can communicate with people and that you know, they are at, at least on par with everyone else in society, if not above that. The Muslims should be above that because we are people of ilm. This is what our tradition is actually all about. Yes. So that's an interesting point here. Not only did Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam produce ace students, like amazing students, but it wasn't just a few people. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't just produce like five or six students. How many do we have? Thousands of them. Thousands of these people. And then, He produced a large group of them in how much time, folks? Very short. Think about this. How many years was Nabuwa? 23 years. Out of which three years was private da'wah. Let's put that aside. You have now 20 years left. In, the 20, in those 20 years, Muslims were tortured and they were forced to leave uh, Mecca and travel to Abyssinia and all this stuff. The boycott ended in basically the 10th year after Nabuwa. 10th year after Nabuwa. Yes, Nabi wasallam was teaching throughout, so I'm not going to discount that. But I'm just trying to draw a picture here. They are studying and praying privately in Darul Arqam bin Abil Arqam. Okay? Darul Arqam. And then now they arrive in Medina Munawwara. 13 years of Nabuwa have passed. Now there is the, 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 the Majd al-Nabwi, which is the platform of education, where people are coming to study and kind of the hustle bustle, come and go, tribes are coming, Bedouins are coming, delegations are coming, the Sahaba are regular, a group of Sahaba dedicate themselves to studying, who later on become known as the Ashab al-Suffa. So if we were to take the whole 23 years, for the type of work Nabi Wasallam did, first of all, that is phenomenal. You know, your Harvards and Stanfords and these uh, Oxfords couldn't, couldn't, can't produce what Rasulullah... And keep in mind, what's the budget here? Right? Keep that in mind too, right? right? It's, it's, it's just natural, pure, genuine human interaction loaded with ilm. And it's not about overdosing them with knowledge, it's about giving them the right amount of knowledge. Something we're going to come to later on, hopefully today. Where it's not about the abundance of knowledge. We don't need everyone to know everything. Not everyone needs to be a master in math science. Everyone needs to have a base knowledge of it so you can get through life. But then you have to figure out what it is for you that you need the most that's going to help you go far. Too much knowledge is not good for you. Again, something we'll talk about later, inshallah. He has a chapter ahead where he discusses the dua of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in which the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sought protection in knowledge that was not beneficial. So there, is a, there are a few interesting points there to discuss. So these students were produced in a very short window. Yes. Because he tread a path of collective and joint education with his Sahaba and obliged them to wipe out illiteracy completely. 
Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was interested in wiping out illiteracy. Everyone needs to be educated. The fact that we have Surah Fatiha that is farad in salah tells us that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wanted everyone to have a base level of knowledge. Right? And this is just one point. There are so many things in Islam that are farad. And those things being obligatory now make it necessary for each individual to go and seek that knowledge. And some of those uh, subjects are such that in order to know one thing, you have to know two other things. If you want to read Surah Fatiha, you have to know Arabi a little bit, right? And then you need to know some pronunciation, right? And then if you go a little further and understand the essence of Surah Fatiha, you're going to want to know translation too, memorization. It's, it's a few things that come together and before you know it, you have now secured a good solid piece of knowledge that will be your go-to for whenever you desire growth in your spirituality. Locked in. Right? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he offered this opportunity to individuals. Yes? Um, he encouraged them to seek knowledge and commissioned them to eradicate, eradicate illiteracy. He warned them severely against being relaxed in this regard. This is why they began acquiring knowledge and gained a thorough understanding of religion. They began teaching and learning from each other with a very, uh, within a very short span of time, illiteracy eradicated from them. Each one of the Sahaba, once they learned something from Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in their own capacity, then made an attempt and made a sacrifice to convey it on to others. Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, فَلْيُبَلِّغِ الشَّاهِدِ الْغَائِبِ that those that are present should convey this message to the ones that are absent. In one narration, Nabi wasallam said, it is very possible that the one that is absent will have a better understanding of the material than the one that was even present. You heard the knowledge, you heard the information, you conveyed it to someone else, someone else understands it way better. Isn't that amazing? That's phenomenal. I had a situation like that this year. I was teaching uh, at the seminary, and there was one particular masala, a fiqh, that I didn't understand, to be honest with you. Um, it wasn't the masala that I struggled so much with, it was an explanation to the masala. And however, just out of um, amana, I would just narrate the masala anyway. So this year, one of my students, uh, she said something. And when she said it, that moment, it cracked the masala for me. And I looked up at her and I said, may Allah reward you, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Because I didn't understand this line for a long time. Your one hashiyah, your one little footnote that you added, it cleared up the masala. Someone else may understand it better than you yourself will understand it. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up people's minds as He wills. In another narration, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, بَلِّغُوا anni وَلَوْ ayatan." Convey from me even if a verse. Now this is a tricky one by the way. It's a tricky one, because I talk about this with you guys as well all the time. That don't become a teacher too soon. When you become a teacher too soon, what happens? You forget to be a student. And you f neglect yourself not allowing the knowledge to have an impact on you. You shouldn't teach something the moment you learn it. It's not a good thing. Unless you're in a desperate situation and you need to now go and teach other people, that's different. But before you actually convey something on to someone else, like you watched a YouTube video on how to make kebabs, don't do a kebab class. First figure it out. Get a little used to it, play around with the kebab, try the recipe a little here and there, until you feel like, no, this is now something that I'm comfortable with, then go forward and teach it. Right? The issue with being a teacher too quick is then people seek knowledge with the niya of teaching it, not for the purpose of self-transformation. A hole is created in that person's intention like a vortex and it sucks out all the sincerity. And before you know it, the people that are benefiting from that person aren't sure why these words aren't bringing any impact to their lives. In order for ilm to have an impact on someone, in order for knowledge to be transformational, you have to let it simmer into the heart. After you listen to something, this is the difference between people who listen to a Jummah khutbah and forget what they talked about by the time they're at that door, and the others who hold on to one or two concepts and they think about it throughout the week. How does this impact my life? What does this mean to me? What did that statement actually, you know, what was Rasulullah saying there? Those who let the ilm simmer and let it sit and they reflect on it, 
maybe during the day, while they're eating, before they go to sleep at night. People of tafakkur and tadabbur, knowledge then begins to enter into their heart. As it does, change occurs. But if you're one of those people that as soon as you hear it, you post it. Like this was a thing, right? If you guys remember, I don't know if they still do it or not, but before they used to do this, people, while they would take durus, while they were sitting in class, they'd be posting stuff on social media. Do you guys remember this? Live tweeting, is that what it's called? Live messaging where they would be posting stuff. I, get, I understand that the niyyah is good, by the way. I'm not doubting anyone's niyyah. But you can post that later on right now. Just focus. Focus on your studies. Now, if the teacher is encouraging you to do it as a, as a moment of engagement and to encourage other people online to join, that's another masala. That's a good. It's a tactic that people use to invite others to a classroom. There's no haraj in that. But as a student, you shouldn't desire that. You should start off by bringing that knowledge home, allowing the change to occur, sitting on it, finding the right people, and speaking with wisdom. And possibly, if I may even add, making sure that before you speak, you speak to a teacher to ensure that your understanding of that masada is sound first and foremost. How many, if I had a dime for every time someone shared something that I said and completely botched it, because when later on when I was asked about the issue, I explained that there is like 30% truth in that statement. The 70% that's false is not a lie. I don't think that person said it intentionally, but I'm not sure if they were able to grasp what I was saying. Let me say it to you again. This is takrar and muraja'ah, where now you verify what you're saying. Yes, go ahead. Abdurrahman ibn Abza said, One day Rasulullah addressed the people. He praised Allah Ta'ala and extolled him. He then mentioned some group of Muslims and spoke highly of them. Thereafter he said, What is wrong with some people who do not educate and teach their Keep in mind here, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam always kept things vague. He didn't call people out by name. We talked about this earlier. Because when you call people out by name, what happens? They get defensive. They feel like they're being attacked. So if you look at the, the words of the riwayah, ثُمَّ ذَكَرَ طَوَائِفْ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ فَأَثْنَى عَلَيْهِمْ خَيْرًا Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam referenced some groups of the believers and he spoke highly of them. ثُمَّ قَالْ Then he said, مَا بَالُ أَقْوَامٍ What is wrong with the people? Again, no name mentioned on either side. Just keeping it vague, keeping it general. Yes, go ahead, continue. They do not explain to them. They do not command them towards Now Nabi Wasallam didn't rebuke these people because they themselves were ignorant. That's not the issue. The people that he's speaking of were very intelligent people. These people were very good at knowledge. However, he said, It's not Nabi Wasallam saying that you people are Fools, rather Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is pointing out that these people did not convey the knowledge they have to their neighbors, to the people in their locality. And he's leading to a really big point through this narration. He points out that it is very easy to claim, you can make this claim without having much of a problem, that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was one of the first people that, that dropped the responsibility on edu of education on every individual of the society. Not just the teacher in the classroom, not just the imam in the masjid. That everyone in society who knows has a responsibility to reach out to those who don't know. I think it's beautiful. In our masjid, when I moved to Dallas some years back, six years ago it's been now. When I came here in our masjid, there were a group of brothers every Sunday or every other Sunday, they would do a class on um, the latest technology that needed to be known, that needed to be studied um, to grow your career in the, in the IT field. Right? If whatever I just said makes any sense. I'm not an IT guy. That's my attempt. It was basically an enrichment course. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was amazing. Because whenever we talk about seeking knowledge in Islam, people always speak of, Alhamdulillah, Quran, Sunnah, Fiqh, which is great. But there are so many skills that people have in this congregation that they could pass on to juniors and younger ones and they could benefit tremendously. I've never seen someone come to a masjid and say, I'm going to teach a one-day seminar on graphic designing, bring your laptops, have these programs loaded on there, let's do it. 
Never seen it. If you've seen it, please let me know. But I know there are young people in our community who are actually very good at it. I've never seen a seminar done in a masjid. And even if two, by the way, people say, oh, but nobody comes. Okay, you're talking to an imam. Like half the time we're giving durus, there's one or two people in front of us. Okay? So if you're doing it for people, then go find another place. Here I'm just speaking of what? Doing it for the sake of? Conveying, teaching. That you have something, why don't you teach it to someone? Someone else will benefit. They'll learn something. Okay, I can speak on this more, but I think the issue is clear. Continue. Uh, they do not command them towards good. They do not prohibit them from evil. Rasulullah was referring to the great right that people have over their learned brothers and educated neighbors because of the Islamic brotherhood which exists between them in addition to their neighborly relationship. In Islam, the rights of neighbors are highly emphasized. They, also, they almost reach the status of family members who are eligible to inherit. Rasulullah said in this regard, Jibra'il kept emphasizing to me the rights of the neighbor to the extent that I thought that he would make, them, make him my inheritor. Rasulullah thus draws our attention to the fact that a person is, is close to becoming an inheritor in the wealth of his neighbor on the basis of being a neighbor and living in close proximity to him. There are different types of neighbors. Those who live next to each other, those who intermingle with each other to the extent that they share the same masjid, school, district, marketplace, etc. Inheritance is of two types, tangible and So first thing he says, jiwari Two things he points out. Mulasaqa, those people who are connected. They're next to Mukhalata, they socialize with one another. They're not necessarily connected in the sense that they're sheer neighborhood or property lines touch. They have mukhalata. In the sense that they are gathered together by a masjid. Maybe it's the masjid they pray together in. That there is something common, they get together for school, so now there is some interaction. Okay? Now, that's one thing. Now earlier he quoted, he cited the riwayah where Rasulullah said, مَا زَالَ جِبْرِيلُ يُصِينِي بِالْجَارِ حَتَّى That Jibreel kept mentioning to me, he kept encouraging me to be kind to the neighbor, kind to the neighbor, that I thought that the next thing he was going to say was, the neighbor is now going to inherit from you. Are we, are, we, are we good so far? Okay. Now the next thing that he says, because he talked about inheritance. Now he points out inheritances of two types. There's hissi and ma'nawi. Inheritances of two types. Hissi and ma'nawi. I covered this word hissi earlier today. Anyone know what hissi means? Something tangible, something physical, you call it hissi. Ma'nawi, something that's not tangible. So he says, that the tangible inheritance is wealth, and the intangible inheritance is knowledge. Rasulullah said, We are the group of the Prophets. We are not inherited from. Right? And then in, in another narration, إِنَّمَا وَرَّثُ الْعِلْمِ The Prophets leave behind knowledge. That's what they leave behind. فَالْعُلَمَاءُ وَرَثَةُ الْأَنْبِيَاءُ Therefore, the scholars are the heirs of the Prophets. So if someone wants to inherit from Rasulullah Nabi left so much behind. Not a small amount. The value of trillions is among us but for the person who understands it and appreciates it. The one who doesn't understand it and doesn't appreciate it, they will view this ilm and this revelation as trash, astaghfirullah, as something with no value at all. They'll pass up on it. There is an incident the scholars share on this point regarding a student who would go to the madrasa to study with his teacher. One day his teacher said to him, I will give you something today that is more valuable than everything in the world. This kid was super excited. Yeah, man, let's do it. Like, I want to be super rich. Let's do it. So his teacher taught him a masala of the deen. The student was very naive. He took the masala, went home, and he was 
like in England they would say proper chuffed, like super happy, like I just nailed it, I'm really rich right now. His mother said, Beta, I need you to go to the grocery store. She gave him a grocery list. She was giving him some money. He said, Mama, I don't need your money. I got this. His mama said, okay, go ahead. So he went to the store. He gathered all the items that he wished to purchase. He came to the cashier at the front. The cashier gave him the total. And he then said to him, okay, you owe this much money. So he says to the cashier, forget that money. I will give you something more valuable than everything in the world. Cashier was skeptical. He's like, are you talking a Bitcoin here? He's <laughs> like, okay, what is it? So then he taught him a masala. He, he picked up a slipper and threw it out of his head. He said, you bilkhuf, put everything back first. And then get out of my store. So then he went home. His mama said, where's the grocery? He said, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> he went to the madrasa next day. Sheikh said, what happened? You look very sad. He said, I don't want to talk about it. He said, no, tell me what happened. He said, Sheikh, you fooled me. You said you gave me something so valuable that it was more valuable than everything in the world. I couldn't buy salary with it. More valuable than everything in the world. So the Sheikh then said, okay. Do you trust me? He said, of course, Sheikh. I'm upset, but I still love you. So he gave him a bag. He said, inside this bag is something more valuable than everything in the world. He had something physical this time, so it gave him more. It wasn't... Manawi, it's hissy. He had something tangible. So he was a little bit more confident. He went home again. Mama said, Berta, I need that grocery list. He said, don't worry, I got it. Just take the money. No, no, I don't need it. I got it. Showed her the bag. She had a little bit more confidence too. He went to the store. The grocer said, hey. He showed him the bag. <laughs> so then he got all of his stuff. The grocer gave him his, the cashier gave him his total. He opened up his bag. There was a rock in there. He took the rock, threw it on his head. And then threw a slipper too. And said, get out of here. Don't come back to the store again. This time the student said, you know what? I'm not even going to go home. I'm just going to go back to the sheikh and I'm going to say, I'm done with this. So he went to his sheikh. And he was very frustrated. He said, sheikh, what is this? So he said to him, look, you said you trusted me, right? Give me one last chance. So he said, Sheikh, of course. He said, you see this rock that I gave you in this bag? Take it to so-and-so store. Show him the rock. Ask him the value. Don't sell it. He said, okay. He walked into the store, and it was a store of a jeweler. He presented the rock to him. The jeweler picked up the same rock and looked at it carefully and said, where did you get this from? This is extremely valuable. This is a unique stone. The kid got half, yeah, I actually have something of value. He took it back, as the sheikh said, without selling it, and came back to the teacher. And he said, I don't understand. I went to the grocery. He, didn't, he threw it at me, and that guy was drooling over it. He said, this is the reality of life. Not everyone understands the value of everything. The jeweler understood the value of the stone. The grocer didn't, because he doesn't know stones. And the same goes with ilm. When you present ilm in front of people of ilm, they will sacrifice their life for it. They'll travel across the deserts if they have to, to listen to one hadith of Rasulullah They'll go from one part of the world to the other part of the world just to stand in front of the grave of Rasulullah to give one salam, and that'll be the highlight of their existence. But for someone who doesn't have value for it, it's meaningless. That's why they say, كَلِّمُ النَّاسِ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ عُقُولِهِمْ كَلِّمُ النَّاسِ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ Speak to people on their level. Not everyone's on the same level. And when you're sharing knowledge and when you're teaching it, don't offer it up too quickly. It may harm the student. They won't value it. Everything needs to happen tadrijan, slowly, slowly, slowly. And this is one of the wisdoms behind the Qur'an being revealed over 23 years. Tadrijan. Slowly, gradually. That people now appreciate it. When a student joins a madrasa or a seminary, year one, they want all of their questions answered. Is that right? I mean, thought They want all of their questions answered in year one. But then you turn to Allah, I mean, tell me. 
you don't get your questions answered at once. Slowly, slowly, after four or five years, when you slowly have them answered, there's a lot more appreciation. You guys understand? But at the beginning, when the teacher isn't answering your questions, you feel angry. Oh, why aren't they answering my questions? I have a right. I pay tuition. This is an Apple store. Customer's always right. Like really worked up. But see what the ilm, as they say regarding it. Knowledge will not give you even a part of it until you do what? You give yourself completely to knowledge. You have to humble yourself in front of ilm for it to come. Those that are arrogant, they are deprived of ilm. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Yes, continue. Tangible inheritance consists of the inheritance of wealth. Intangible inheritance, on the other hand, consists of the inheritance of knowledge. It is the duty of a person to teach his neighbor that which is essential and beneficial, especially knowledge. It is one of the most essential rights of a neighbor. May the peace and salutations of Allah Ta'ala be upon the teacher and guide to all of mankind. And what is wrong with some people that they do not learn from their neighbor, neighbors? They do not educate themselves through their neighbors. They do not try to understand from them. I take an oath by Allah that people should certainly teach their neighbors, educate them and make them understand, command them towards good and prohibit them from evil. And people should certainly learn from their neighbors, educate themselves through them and try to understand from them. If not, I anticipate punishment from them in this world. Rasulullah then descended and entered his house. While he was gone, some people began saying, who do you think he was referring to? Yeah, they said, Man Who do you think Rasulullah was talking about when he was dropping it on a group of people? We think he was talking about the Ash'ari folks. That their neighbors aren't so educated, but they are very educated. So the fact that there's such a contrast here, that on one side of the city you have amazing schools and amazing education system, and on the other side you have people that can't pass high school, isn't there something wrong? Are you guys catching the, the point that I'm making here? Right? That, that shouldn't happen, that on one, one, part, one half of the street is very educated, the other half has no education, that's not right. Education should be equally available for everyone. The Ash'ari folks found out that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi spoke like this. Naturally, they were concerned. That, O Messenger of Allah, you spoke of one group of people positively, but then you spoke of us negatively. What is wrong with us? What did we do wrong? So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi then, he explains to them what they did wrong, and he cites an ayah of the Qur'an, Surah Ma'idah, and then he jumps to the part. That Allah cursed those people. Why? Because they were not helping society. People were doing wrong and they just let them be. They didn't care. So then they said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, give us a year. We'll fix it. فَأَمْهَلَهُمْ سَنَةً Nabi Sallallahu then gave them that year. Yes, go ahead, continue. Um, someone replied, you think he was referring to the Ash'ariyin because they are very learned people, while their neighbors are uncouth people inhabiting the oasises and rural areas. The Ash'ariyin came to know of this and therefore approached Rasulullah They said to him, O Rasulullah you mentioned some people in very glowing terms while you derided us. What have we done wrong? Rasulullah replied, People should certainly educate their neighbors, make them understand, command them towards good, and prohibit them from evil. And people should certainly learn from their neighbors, try to understand from them, and educate themselves through them. If not, I anticipate punishment for them in this world. They said, Oh Rasulullah, should we make others understand? So Rasulullah. So they were, they, they were kind of you know, caught off. They said, like, do we need to go and educate other people? We did our part. Our tribe is good. We taught the kids in our community. Everyone's good here. So why do we need to go to other people? Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, فَعَادَ قَوْلَهُ عَلَيْهِمْ Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam repeated the whole thing again. 
the previous paragraph that everyone needs to do this, otherwise I fear Allah's punishment will come. They repeated their question. That do we have to go around educating other people? Why are they our fault? Why are they our responsibility? فَقَالَ ذَلِكَ أَيْضًا Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam That too. Yes. They said, O oh Rasulullah, should we make others understand? So Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam repeated what he said to them. They asked the same question again. Should we make others understand? Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam again repeated what he had said to them. They said, give us respite of one year to educate our neighbors. Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave them this respite of one year in order to educate their neighbors, to teach them and to make them understand. Displaying shortcomings in teaching and learning is considered to be a collective crime. One who commits such a crime deserves a worldly punishment. History has not recorded a standpoint of this nature as regards as regards the sanctity of the knowledge taken by anyone before Rasulullah or after him. Abandoning religious responsibilities is an evil act and is punishable. Teaching and learning are constitutive of these religious responsibilities. Therefore, if a learned person shirks his responsibility of teaching, or if a Muslim fails to learn the essentials of his religion, then both will be punished. This is because Rasulullah sallallahu said... And that's where we'll stop here. Well, because then now he goes into other narrations of Rasul... Actually... No, leave. I'll discuss this in more detail tomorrow. Maybe we'll start from Sheikh uh, Mustafa Zarqa's statement again, and then we'll work our way down. Um, we ask that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts and grants us tawfiq to Ahmad upon what we learn, and makes us a people of ilm and keeps us in gatherings of ilm. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.